we try to take a, a one day out of the year, try to put it at the kind of the beginning of the year, and just talk a little, just call it Vision Sunday. And Pastor Andrew told everybody got a sticker, you ready for that? And just make sure you put it somewhere. If you put it on your car, don't act like a demon, act like a Christian. That'll help us get the name out and do good. If we are... We had a, a great, I, anytime you see 100, what was it, 129 people give their life to Jesus, that's a good year. So we're extremely grateful for that. Uh, also, is maybe you're here today, have, has anybody been impacted, influenced, encouraged by the ministry of Clover Hill? Is there anybody in the house today? I, I, know, I know I'm one of them. We also gave uh, right at $960,000 to missions and to ministries that are training leaders and planting churches and feeding children and rescuing girls out of sex slavery and building bridges and giving hope to foster kids and encouraging social workers and going into prisons, making a difference in inner cities and bringing relief in crisis, being the church, offering hope, sharing the gospel, building his kingdom. We're, we're grateful for our partnership with different people. Financially, we've had another record year meaning your giving has been more than it has in the past 20 years, and we're so grateful for that. It's, it's never went backwards in, in 20 years, but this is what I want you to know concerning that, that we will always have more vision than resources. We will always have more vision than resources. Somebody asked me the other day, Pastor, if I won the lottery, will you take the tithe off of it? And I'm not encouraging you to play the lottery, but if you do win, I'll take the tithe off of it, and, 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 and we, will, we will use it for God's glory, because our vision is always, we're always going to have more vision than more resources. What if, what if you did get a big, big, exuberant amount of money come in? What, what would you do with it? Well, we'd pay this building off. We'd, we'd build a foyer out front that would give us more relational space, meeting space. It would make us a safer campus by, by just allowing our kids to enter through one, one door. It would look better from Bailey Bridge Road. We, if, we, if we got a ton of money, we would build a building. We own 25 acres on Hull Street. That area is booming. It's growing. We would put a building out there that's at 1,000 people, and I would guarantee it within three to five years, it will be filled twice there is 30,000 homes going up there in the next 10 years. That's on top of what is already out there. If we got an exuberant amount of money, we would, we would deepen our commitment and our level of giving to priority one in building Bible schools all over the world. We would partner, and, and David Grant is here this morning with Project Rescue. We would do more with Project Rescue to rescue little girls out of sexual slavery. Many of the children... They, they, they lay, they live under the cots of their moms while they're, while they're working their trade. And, 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 and Project Rescue is res- rescuing those little girls out, giving them hope, giving them a future, helping them heal, giving them Jesus. We, we, would do, we would do more of that. If we had an exuberant amount of money come in for some reason, we would partner with DSS to help the 500 kids that age out of foster care every year in Virginia. It's the, it's the most in the entire nation, 500 kids that age out with no permanency, no place to call home, no parents. And, and if they, those kids are not reached, if they're not helped, they'll become incarcerated, pregnant. They, 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 they will just continue a cycle of poverty 
and dysfunction. If we, if we had, just because our vision is always going to be greater than our resources, we would partner with Mike Zello and Teen Challenge to bring a, a facility here that would help uh, with this drug epidemic that, that is just sweeping across our city and, and really across the nation. If we, if we had more money, we would do more. We would add more to our 140 missionaries that we already support to come alongside them and help them. You say, Pastor Stan, what, what is your vision? I want to change the world. I believe we can do that. I, I, I want to change the world for the glory of God. With all the brokenness and godlessness and hate, I want to bring comfort and healing and hope. I want to change the perception of the church. And, and it is changing. But, but for a long time, the church was known for, for being judgmental and hypocritical and inward and irrelevant and inclusive and even hateful at times. I want us to be known for our love and our serving, our conviction, our compassion. I want to be the light of the world. I want to be the salt of the earth. I want to be a city set on a hill that cannot be ignored and cannot be denied. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy of changed lives and transformed past and hopeful futures. To live awake, to leave awake behind us that it might that it will be known of us that they serve God in their generation. Here's the, here's the verse of the day. I, I, we're going to camp out in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul was, it's Vision Sunday. Let me, let me tell you what I feel like the Lord has given me. For, it's more for our church. If you're visiting today, you'll get something out of it. And I'm glad you're here. But it's more for the direction that we're headed and what, what we need to do as a congregation. But you can also, you can apply this personally. So it's a corporate message, but it can be applied personally, and I think you'll see it. But it's what Paul told the church at Ephesus. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Be careful, then, how you live. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is not a game. This isn't, you don't get to do-overs. You got one life to live, and I want you to live it well, Paul said. I know... I'm 48 years old. I know I don't look 48. Some of you say, I know you look 58. No, I look 38, and, and I'm just speaking that in faith. And, but this is what, I, 48 years old, I, I don't, I don't want to look to the end of my life and go, what did I do with that? What, who, what did I leave behind? What, who did I impact? Who did I influence? Who did I encourage? I, at my funeral, I just don't want people sitting around eating some potato salad talking about he was a good guy or he loved sports. I want them talking about the impact, the influence, the difference I made in their lives and for the glory of God. And so do you. So we better be careful how we live. We, we better not take it lightly. We better be intentional, strategic. We better be purposeful in how we live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Now, you, you remember the New Testament was written in Greek. And the English translators would try to translate the Greek verbiage language the best they could into English. And they chose the word opportunity in the, in the word Greek. In the Greek, the word is time. And there, there's two, two types of time you can use. There's chronos, which is chronological time. Or there's kairos, which is where they get the word opportunity. And here's what kairos means. A time when conditions are right. For the accomplishment of a crucial action. And I want you to let that sink in. A time when the conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. It's an opportune and decisive 
moment. I, I would define it, or I would, I would explain it like this. When Esther came on the scene in the Old Testament, there was about to be a, an annihilation of the Jews. There, there was about to be, under a wicked king, there was about to be the destruction, uh, just a rampart killing of the Jews. And, and Esther realized that she had been placed in a position of influence for such a time as this, for a kairos, for an opportunity to step through and to make a difference. And here's what the word opportunity means. A passing instant when an opening appears, which must be driven through with force if success is to be achieved. So this is what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus. That look, don't be unwise the way you live. Be very wise. Be, be intentional. Be strategic. Because God has given us an opportunity. God has given us a, a, a time, a, a kairos, a specific calling, a cause that he wants to walk through. And the, and the reason is because the days are evil. So if you were to read this backwards, it would say, because the days are evil. Because they're, and you say, no, they're not. Yes, they are. I saw, this week I read of a man who stabbed to death his six-year-old daughter. What is that? It's an evil day. It's the, it's the work of the enemy. It's a satanic influence that's really kids are killing kids and parents are killing kids and kids are p- killing parents and there's confusion and chaos. Because the days are evil, I'm going to give you a great opportunity. Church, individual, Clover Hill, because of the evilness that we live in and because my grace is greater than the evil, I'm going to open up a window of opportunity and therefore don't, don't miss it but be careful in it and, and make the most of it. Make the most of it. Here, here's, what he, here's what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, therefore, don't be foolish. And again, all this is context. Now, you know, but just let me remind you. When the Bible was written, it wasn't written with verses and chapters. It was one idea, one thought. It, not, not all of it, but the different books, whoever wrote it. So like Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was one letter. It was one thought. And so you, you can't take stuff and just isolate and pull it out. The, the text only makes sense in context. And so the context of this is, and I'm going to be repetitive, but it's on purpose. The context of this is the days are evil. God's given us a great opportunity. Therefore, live wise. And don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, we can look at other scripture, and we can, we can discern and decide and, and figure out what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is that none should perish. The Lord's will is that I'm not slow concerning my promises, as some men count slowness, and I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to an understanding and a revelation of God's grace and give their life to me. Uh, here's, here's the will of the Lord, for God so loved the world. It's not cosmos, it's the people of the world. For God so loved people that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. Here's the will of the Lord, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's will is to see lost people come to Jesus. And if that's God's will, that ought to be our greatest will. That ought to be our heart. That ought to be our cry. Because the days are evil, God's given us this window of opportunity. He, for a critical purpose, for a reason. He's opened up this window. Therefore, don't live as wise, unwise, but live as wise and understand that the Lord's will is to see lost people come to know him. That's his will. That's his heart. There, there's a, there's a, there, 
way back, I think it's probably been 10, 15 years. I'm not sure of the timing. But I remember watching it on the news, and, and, and there, was a, there was a mining company in Pennsylvania where the mine collapsed on, I think it was nine or ten workers, and they were, they were trapped underground. The mine collapsed, the, the earth settled over them, and they got, somehow they got stuck in this little bubble. It was just a little bubble of space, an area where these nine or ten men, I, I even believe there were some women in there, were huddled together, and, and the workers were up top, and, and they, were, they were piping down oxygen through a pipe, and they, you know, if they, if they dug, they were afraid that it would, it would shake the earth and it, they would collapse on them. And so they were thinking and planning and, and strategizing and, and a day turned into two days into three days into four days. And miraculously, these, these nine, ten workers were rescued from this, from this collapsed mine. And as they come at, came out, they began to tell of how they survived. And they said, well, we just got in that little bubble and we huddled together and we stayed close. And, and, and our body temperature warmed everybody else. And we prayed together. And, and we, just, we just thanked God together. And, and, and we, we were just down there in our, in our little bubble. And, and that's good. And they needed to do that to survive. But that's not the picture of the church. I, but that's what it appears sometimes. That the church just gets in their little holy huddle. And we, and we're, we, don't, want to be in, we don't want to be influenced by an evil world. And we just want to do our own thing. And so, hey, let's just get together. And let's pray together. And let's just... Let's sing together, and let's cry together, and let's, I don't want to be like that. And that's not what God wants us to be. He wants us to be like those rescuers who are trying to save those nine workers, doing whatever it takes, being creative, being innovative, being passionate, being purposeful, to reach people that are hurting and dying and on their way to a godless eternity. Because the days are evil, and because God has given us this opportunity Don't be unwise, but be wise and understand what the Lord's will is. And we know the Lord's will is to use us, to partner with us, to reach people that are far from God. Same same chapter, different verse. Remember, it's a flow. We like, as charismatic Pentecostals, whatever we call ourselves, we like to take this verse out and use it by itself. It flows with everything I've just said. Therefore, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery or sin or wickedness or, or hatefulness. Don't, and you could, you could replace wine with just about anything. Don't get stuck on that. Uh, don't, be, don't be intoxicated by this world. Don't get filled up with yourself. Don't get, don't get filled up with your job. Don't be so passionate about that you miss me. Don't, but in this, he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to craziness and foolishness. Instead... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because the days are evil and God has given us an opportune time and the Lord's will is to save people and to accomplish that will, I've got to be filled with God's Spirit. I've got to have a power that's beyond myself, above myself, that's greater, that's greater than me and my ability and my own strength. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. John writes the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelations. Same church, different author. He writes later on, he says, I know, I know your deed. You tracking with me? Same church, different authors. He just said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Same church. I know your deeds, your hard work. Here, here's what he's saying. Man, your compassion for lost people is incredible. Your, your, your desire to come along foster kids is very impressive. Your willingness to go to the food bank and serve meals 
Your, your heart to go see the incarcerated, man, you're doing such a good job. Your service is commendable and your perseverance. And I know that you cannot tolerate those who claim to be apostles and are not. And you've even found them to be false. You know, he's saying your standard, your, your love for doctrinal truth. You've not misinterpreted scripture. You, you're, not, you're not misapplying scripture. Your, your theology is online. Your service is amazing. Your theology is right on. And you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. And you've not grown weary. He, he's writing the church at Ephesus, which was very hard, a very hard culture to remain a Christian just due to their persecution. There was governmental persecution. If, if you said yes to Jesus, you were threatened with your life, you could lose your job, you could be in prison. There was just, I mean, the temptation was, prostitution was legalized. Many of the worship centers was nothing more than, uh, than just crazy sex and, and stuff. The, just, I mean, it was just a really, really crazy, tough, rough time. And, 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 and Paul, uh, John said, man, in the midst of that culture, you've stayed true. You've done, you've, done, you've done really, really good. But he said, I got this one thing against you. And it, it almost appears like this one thing trumps even their service and their standard and their strength. This one thing against you, you have forsaken your first love. You've lost your passion. You've lost your zeal. You've lost your fervor. And again, you got to think in the context. you got this great opportunity. The days are evil. You don't want to be going through the motions. You don't want to be half-hearted. You don't want to be passionless. You don't want to be, you want to be zealous and, and full of fervor. You, you got to be, you got to be full of the Holy Spirit. And you, you cannot forsake your first love. I, here, I, my, I've told you this. My son plays college basketball. And, and when you get to that level, it becomes a job. And, and if you're not careful, it can suck. You know, all these high school kids, they come out of high school, most of them are the star on their team, and they, and they love basketball. They've, they've been able to do whatever they want, however, with the ball anyway. And then they get to this college, and everybody's a star, and you got these coaches screaming at you and yelling at you and constantly just on you and workouts, and it can just become, you can lose your passion for the game. So these kids go to, go to college with this zeal for the love of basketball, and it just becomes a chore, a job. And uh, he came home one Christmas break. Dad, I'm done. I'm tired. This is, this is crazy. It's not even fun anymore. I don't even like the game anymore. They've just sucked the joy right out of it. And, and I said, well, well, that'd be good if you could quit, but you can't quit, and you're gonna, you better figure out how to get your zeal back. You better figure something out. So he said, he didn't, this wasn't how to get it back, but he said, well, I'm going, because he did love the game, well, I'm going to go play pickup. And so he went to this gym where 12 or 15 of his friends met, and there was no coaches, and there was no whistles, and there was no you're coming out if you miss a shot, and there was no barking and no yelling and no, none of that, and they just, they just played pickup for two and a half, three hours. And he got back home, and I said, how'd it go, Zach? And he said, I got it back, man. I got my passion, got my zeal, got my love for the game. He calls it, I got my mojo back. Here, here's, here's what happens in Christian life sometimes. Life can just suck the joy out of us. It can suck the joy. And we're still believers, but, but there's just no passion. There's no zeal. It's, it's just kind of, we're just kind of going through the motions and doing our own thing. And you know what God is saying? I don't want you to lose your mojo. I don't want you to forsake your first love. I want you to, and now listen, I'm not talking about you live on cloud nine 24-7 all the time. But there, and, and it's not means you got to be perfect and you never get it right. But there's got, you don't want to live for Jesus out of your own strength. You don't want your discipline to be the, the energy that makes it work. You, 
You want to be filled with something that's greater than you. You want to be empowered with something that's mightier than you. And, and what that thing is, it's the, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the, what, what's the remedy for not losing my first love? What's the, what's, the, what's the cure for taking advantage of an opportunity and not being unwise because of the days are evil? The, 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 the remedy is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, you know, if you look in the Greek, which I don't much, but this word filled, it it has so much more meaning than just the English interpreters wrote it down. If you look at the tense, if you you study it, it is in the uh, plural, which when this word, it really means be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you say, well, I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 12 or when I was 20. That's not, that's not what, what Paul is saying. He is saying, here's what he's saying. We leak. Therefore, you need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to, be, you need to continually be dependent and expectant and believing for God to fill you afresh and anew with his power and his presence and his spirit. It also means it's present tense. Like we think, we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was for the church at Ephesus. That was for the New Testament church. No, it's present tense, which means it's for now. It's for today. Why would God put us in these evil days but allow us to have this great opportunity and not give us everything we need to accomplish his will? He wouldn't do that. It's imperative. Be filled with the Holy Spirit is not an option. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. When you look at the word in the Greek, it's an, an imperative. Hey, be filled. Do it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the disciples didn't go anywhere, do anything, start the church until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's also passive. It means that, that you receive the action. If God told you to run, then you would have to do something. You got to start running. But when Jesus, when, when Paul said be filled, you receive it. You you. you that's why in Luke's Gospel 11 it said, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his son, if a son asks his earthly father for a piece of bread, he's not going to give him a snake. If he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the Holy Spirit is not something you can work up or, or, or discipline yourself to receive. It Just like salvation it is a gift of grace that you receive, that you receive from the Father. But there does have to be a desire. There does have to be a, be a hunger. There does have to be a, a thirst. And, and I, I want you to know this about Clover Hill. If you're visiting today, this is your church. If this is your church, you, you should know it. But we value the Holy Spirit. We, we value the presence of God. We believe you can build a great church on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want that to scare you. The Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Paul said, hey, I don't want to preach with enticing words of man's wisdom. I don't want to get up and sound eloquent and act like I have it all together. I want to preach under the demonstration of the spirit and of power. The book of Acts, many people call it, many theologians call it the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's when the spirit the early church got filled with the Holy Spirit and turned their world upside down. The answer to every prayer that you pray is more of the Holy Spirit. 
You need to make a critical decision. You need the spirit of revelation and wisdom. You need the right words to, for a business proposal. You need the Holy Spirit to be a teleprompter to lead you and to guide you. You need more love. That's the first fruit of the spirit, which also is, is joy and peace and patience and kindness. You need to know how to pray. The Spirit of God is our intercessor. You need understanding of Scripture. He's our teacher. You need boldness in sharing your faith. He's our empower. You need hope as you go through a trial. He is our comforter. No matter what question you have, the Holy Spirit is the answer. No matter what problem you face, the Holy Spirit is the solution. Without the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, Cloverhill. Without the Holy Spirit, church becomes cold. Worship becomes mechanical. Prayer becomes monotonous. The word becomes meaningless. Our faith becomes weak, and we lose our spiritual passion and fervor. That's why it's urgent that we be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I love, I love the book of Acts. And, I, I mean, it, it's, it's one of my, probably, if you've read it, I mean, it's just packed with great things. And, and if you look at it, though, let me just sum up the first little bit. In Acts chapter 1, God gives a promise that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. The promise is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, and the power is released when, when they're in the upper room praying, and the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance. In Acts chapter 3, that power begins to manifest. You remember Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and, and they come across a lame guy that's begging for alms, and he just, he just needs some change so he can get his next meal. He just needs some change so he can take care of his immediate needs. And Peter looks down on him and says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And, and the power of God flows through that boy's body. His legs are strengthened, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. In Acts chapter 4, the, the disciples, Peter and John, are arrested, thrown in prison, threatened with their lives. They're released under the condition that they'll never talk about Jesus again. They go back to the church, Acts chapter 4, and they begin to pray. And their prayer is, God, will you enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness? I'm thinking that's what got you in this mess. Why, why do you want more boldness? Give us greater boldness in God. Don't just give us greater boldness, but stretch out your hand to do miraculous things in the name of your mighty son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and things are, are happening. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. To me, it doesn't fit. We're rolling along. Good things are happening. The church is united. The church is together. Maybe it fits, but it doesn't make sense, at least in, in, in my perception or my view of if you were to put the Bible in a grid of today. Ananias was a guy, wealthy guy. Everybody was selling things, giving things. They were bringing them to the church, so nobody was going without. And Ananias sold a piece of property, and he brought the proceeds to Peter. And Peter said, is this everything you got? And it wasn't. He was holding some of it back for himself. But in a desire to be, I don't know, to look better than he was, some arrogance, pride, I don't know, whatever it was, he said, yeah, it's everything. Everything I received for that plot of land, I gave to you. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, with a word of wisdom, said, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you've received 
from the Lord. You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. Man, that, that sounds, that's a little over the top for me. I mean, I've seen, I've seen people do a lot worse than that and not die. What, what, is go, what is going, I remember the text without the context doesn't make sense. His wife, Sapphira, comes in a few hours later. And Peter asked her the same question. Is this all the money you got for the land? Yes, sir, that's it. He said to her, the same men that carried out your husband are coming to take you away. She hit the ground dead. God, what, what is that all about? I, I start asking the Lord, help me. Help me to understand this. That just doesn't make sense. God, you going to start killing people? What, what is up? And you, again, you got to look at the context. Look at Acts 5.15. It says, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter, Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. There was such an anointing. There was such a, there was such a, a manifestation of the, of the presence of God. These guys were walking in, in a, I don't know, in the mojo. They were walking in a flow. They were walking in such a way that they would just walk down the road. Blind eyes open, deaf ears open, lame people jumping up. I mean, they, they didn't have to pray. They didn't have to lay hands. They're just walking down the road. There is such a power. When the people came together, in Acts chapter 4, I told you that prayer meeting, the Bible says the place where they prayed shook. There was such a tangible expression and manifestation of the glory of God that, that, that when Ananias and Sapphira went in the presence of Peter, there's they, they went in with sin in their heart, and there was a reaction. And when there's an anointing of God, when there's a strong presence of God, when the glory of the Lord is in a place, there's always a reaction to sin. And in this place, in this case, they lost their lives. You know, I've been praying for years. God, would you increase your presence at Clover Hill? I mean, I, I'm just believing that that people are going to walk through these doors and there's just going to be such a cloud of God's glory because we brought it in, that people are going to cry out, what must I do to be saved? That, that Courtney's up here playing the keyboard and singing and, and people are just getting healed, not because anything she says, not because anything we do, just because the glory and the power and the presence of God is here. I, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I'm so, I'm so believing that, that married people are coming in and they just, they just cuss each other out in the parking lot and they're fighting and they get in the presence of God, and now they're just wanting to love each other and apologize, and, and there's nothing to, there's nobody to give credit to or honor to. It's all because of the presence and the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and I've been praying, God, why don't you do it like you did it in the book of Acts? You're no respecter of persons. You're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what I felt like the Lord said. Stan, the reason God has not yet manifested his glory on your church as strongly as he did in the book of Acts is because there would be many people falling over dead, like Ananias and Sapphira. So before I intensify my presence and come in my glory, you must prepare yourself and your people. You must call them to repentance and go after the heart of God. When we experience the presence of God in, in the kind of way they did back then, everything will change. It, it won't be scary. It, it will be life-giving. It, you won't be able to leave. You'll want more. 
But if God showed up the way that we pray sometimes and the way that we ask and the way that we desire, I don't know if we could take it. I don't know. I don't know if we're ready for it. There's got to be a call to repentance. In 2018, I don't want to do church as normal. I don't want to look back and say we saw 129 people get saved. I want so much more. I want to see, I want to see where, I want to see on that screen where people, and I want to see it. I want to see people that were using a cane now jumping and leaping for joy. I want to see people, and you know how that's going to happen? It's going to be the presence and the power and the manifestation of the glory of God. But it's only going to come where people are ready and repentant and, 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 and in a position where they can experience and walk in it. Here, here's, here's what I'm afraid, that the church looks a lot like the world. That we come in on Sunday, but we look just like everybody else throughout the week. And if you think I'm, I'm, I'm preaching at you, this word was for me just as much as it was for you. I'm talking to myself. Our homes look too much like our, like our neighbor's homes. And they don't even know Jesus. The salt has lost its saltiness and our light is flickering instead of shining. However, as I prepared for this and was asking the Lord, God, what do you want to say to your church for 2018? I I started to get hopeful and encouraged and expectant because I felt like God was saying, hey, there's a lot I like about Clover Hill. There's a hunger and expectancy. There's a desire for the word of God and a passion and prayer and worship. There's a commitment to the community and, and, and your giving is going all over the world. But challenge them to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal any sin in their life, any unforgiveness or hatred, bitterness or resentment, sexual sin or idolatry, selfish ambition or jealousy, dissension or envy, pride or prejudice, doubt or unbelief. Allow the Spirit of God to shine His spotlight on your heart and to reveal anything in you that's not of God. And if He reveals it, repent of it, turn from it. You'll be better because of it. You'll be better because of it. Call them to a greater level of commitment. No more lukewarmness. No more Jesus for the moment. What I mean by that is we want Jesus when things are bad and and we need him when, when when our life is in a wreck. But then when it gets straight, we go right back to doing our own thing. I'm saying, hey, let's decide to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. Though none go with me, still I will follow. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means passion. It means I'm going after you, God. And if I fall down, I'm getting back up. And if I miss the mark, I'm asking for forgiveness. And I'm not quitting. I'm not retreating. I'm moving forward in the name of Jesus. Call them. Call them to a greater level of commitment. And then exhort them. Encourage them that if you'll pursue me, if you'll obey me, if you'll follow my leading, I'll multiply your effectiveness and increase your influence. You'll be blessed coming in and blessed going out. I'll establish you as my people and the community will take, uh, they will recognize it. I will open the windows of heaven and, and let the rain of my spirit saturate your meetings. I will shelter you with my presence. I will embrace you with my love. You will enjoy a time of peace. You will be strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. You will grow in numbers as you walk in the fear of the Lord. Here's my prayer. Is anybody with me? Do you? Here's my prayer. Here, here's my prayer that you'll have ears to hear today. May we repent of where we failed. 
May we serve Jesus out of a fiery love, not out of obligation. May we get our mojo back as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. May our relationship with God not be another thing to do on our to-do list, but may it be the cry and the passion of our heart. May May we be set apart, filled with His Spirit, and available to be used by Him and for Him. Be careful, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. And don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk on wine, which leads to craziness. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen, everybody. Stand to your feet with me, will you? And, and will you just lift your hands right where you are and just respond. Lord, we need more of your spirit. We need more of your presence. We need more of your power. We need more of your anointing, more of your grace, God. More of your goodness. Oh, Lord, we want more. Give us more, Lord. Come on, don't let me pray. You pray. Lord, we want more. God, we need you today. Lord, we want to make, take full advantage of the opportunity that's before us. We live in evil days, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, we've been reminded of what the Lord's will is, that none should perish. And God, we know today through your word that you want to use us, that you want to empower us, that you want to equip us that you want to fill us so that we can be your messenger, your voice, your hands, your feet. And today we say, yes, Lord. We say, yes, God. We say we're available. We say we're open. Our hearts are laid bare. We're saying, God, we repent of our sin. We want to turn back to you. Fill us with your grace and your strength and your goodness in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Maybe the message today resonated in your heart. Maybe you're sitting today and you go, man, I want that. I need that. I want to, I want to, I don't want to be unwise. I want to be wise. I want to make the most of my time. I, I want to discern the Lord's will. I want to be filled. I want to be being filled with his spirit. Courtney's going to, praise team's going to sing. I'm going to invite you to come to the front. We're going to take just a moment. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to believe God. We're going to ask him to fill us, to touch us, to help us today. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I pray for boldness and courage to sweep across this place. Lord, I pray for a passion, a desire for more of you. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be settled. We wouldn't be complacent or cold or casual. That we would return to our first love today. That we would hunger and thirst for the hope. Is there nobody here that wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Is there nobody here that wants more of Jesus in their life? Is there nobody here that says, God, we can't do this without you. We're not satisfied. We're not content. We need more. We need more. Come on. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. They want more of God than this. Do it, God. Respond to our faith. Respond to our hunger. Respond to our thirst. Fill us today with your purpose.